So coming in on the top today on the show, we have David Heatley. He's a cartoonist, illustrator, and musician. His artworks appeared on the cover of The New Yorker, New York Times, Nickelodeon Magazine. He is an author of two books, My Brain is Hanging Upside Down, and Qualification. Both graphic novels, both like comic-based, which is perfect for this show, because you guys know, uh, if you're reoccurring listeners, that uh, we're, we're comic nerds on this podcast. And I say we as in me and my friend Cody. Um, we've interviewed Kevin Eastman and Daniel Warren Johnson, two comic artists, and interviewed by musicians. So there's this juxtaposition of like different mediums, but same philosophical approaches. So this is the first time to really talk with someone who is both a musician and a comic artist. So this was a really cool conversation to kind of cross the mediums and see where, where in which the overlap is. And we get into that. Um, David has a new album out called Life Our Own Way. Um, it's a really cool record because it hits all these different mediums. It start there's like there's like these weird genre flows within this record. There's this kind of indie hip hop, and then it goes to like uh, Beatles esque, and then it goes to punk. What we're gonna listen to is a song called "You Only Get So Much Time," which is more of the Beatles esque influenced song, and it gets stuck in my head a lot. So dig it, friends. You only get so much time. Life our own way. So much time. time. You only get so much time. time. You only get so much time. time. You only get so much time. time. If you want to spend it laughing, don't let me stop you. Spend it sleeping. You probably got something for you. I hope we'll spend it singing. Singing at my heart with you. Cause we need to keep believing. Believing. You only get so much time. You only get so much time. So much time. You only get 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 so much time. David Heatley, You Only Get So Much Time, off the album Life Our Own Way, available on all streaming platforms soon. Um, yeah, guys, before we jump into it, if you can like, rate, subscribe, review the podcast and all the podcasts or some of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool artists and uh, sharing their insights with you. And uh, yeah, cool stuff's happening, friends. Um, all right, here's my conversation with David Heatley. Awesome. So um, I thought <laughs> to start off, um, are you still breakdancing? 
it's I wouldn't say it's a regular thing. <laughs> Maybe at a wedding or something as a joke. I don't know. Yeah, not really. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Well, is it uh, way better than I can ever do? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I revere breakdancing still. I just have no illusions about <laughs> what an amateur I am. I'll just put it that way. But just taking those like first few steps, you know, I mean, it's it's not just even dancing. You're like, I can't like I, I think about rhythm all the time. You know, what I mean, yeah. like I'm dissecting rhythms. I'm listening to like records mm-hmm. and being what? Why does that work? I think about rhythm all the time. But I personally, I, I, I just can't move to it like that. I have to think about it. Do you find mm-hmm. like kind of mm-hmm. being a, a, a thinking in multiple mediums about how to express yourself, do you find it harder just to express yourself? Or does it like does the brain kick in and make it more difficult for you or is it easier? Mm. I mean, I think I'm, I'm a pretty intuitive musician, actually, because I don't. I don't really read music and um, I'm very late to even learning remotely complex chords. So it kind of is all down to the feeling in the body and the rhythms I feel naturally and, and the the grooves that come to me as a song idea. So, yeah, and I actually, I'm a pretty good dancer. I'm just not a great break dancer, but I'm, I'm pretty good. I really do feel the music like in my body, I'd say. It's pretty elemental to what I do. You have a you have a good flow when you go into like your your rap parts of your songs. I'm like it's <laughs> unique. Like I don't I don't I don't know it, it's it's uniquely you and like because the first record I listened to of yours like when Howard sent me everything I'm like I'm gonna listen to the previous albums. And okay. First before I listen to the new one, just like I'm, I'll make myself a playlist of who I'm about to talk to and I'll listen to the yeah. catalog up until. Um, partially because like the new record, like when you get the advances, you have to switch each song. You can't just play all of them. So it's a little more tedious, but, um, just to get a sense of the person. And like, uh, the first one I listened to was, uh, the Duda. (laughs) Um, Oh, the kid's record. Yeah. The kid's record. And I was like, what? Like at at first I, it it didn't bother. Like I did not that it bothered me. I I didn't pick up on it until potted plant guy. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Do I have the right guy? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I've definitely been a fan of hip hop since I was in second grade, and these like little rap songs do come to me. And I honestly, I didn't know what to do with it until recently, where I had that song on the new album, "I Love You, Duh," and I was like, I'm gonna get some girls to rap this, and then I don't have to be the the voice of this song, and it works so much better. So I could like. Yeah, I, I don't know. I do think I get I get like rhymes and raps in my head all the time. I just feel sheepish about like standing behind them. So like for the kids record, it was kind of easy to have a little persona to like rap from that point of view. But just to stand behind and be like, yeah, I'm David Heatley, the cartoonist, and I rap. It just seems like really hard to pull off. You know, <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. It's a, what one on the note on the on the record. Um, I love you, duh. That. I, it's even though it was a a, a, ch- a female rapping, it, it it felt like it it felt like your flow. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, it, like yeah, like listen, because I listened to the kids' record first, and I was like, it, it it you have a I don't know what it is. Like I I didn't map it out or anything, but like it's just like it's kind of like the narrative flow and like the certain words you use to describe the situations, and it just if it <laughs> it draws you in. It's really it's really like I don't know I don't know how to describe it, but it you do a really good job at describing what you're talking about. And, and like within like, it, it's almost it's got a narrative to it. It's not just kind of like a flow. I, I don't know. That's, mm. that's kind of a, a loose sentence, but like, I feel like no, it, I appreciate that. I think all my favorite rappers are like storytellers first, you know? And so like even like hearing slick Rick back in the day or, I don't know, even something like Jam On It, it's like, you'd think that's just a party song, but they're like telling a whole story, like an intergalactic rap battle between Superman and an alien. It's just like, it's super vivid and, yeah, narrative-based. I've always loved that. Like Nas, too, I just love his storytelling, you know. Well, you you do a good job at conveying in a uniquely your own way. Um, But, like, is that kind of like, as far as, like, lyric writing? Do you, uh, like, when you take, like, like, the kids' record, and I think that, like, as far as, like, a songwriting exercise, what, like, a, um, what a great 
because like there's so many specific things in that mm-hmm. record, like the about from the book. And now mm-hmm. you you animated the book or you wrote the book that I was a. I, I illustrated the book. Yeah, a woman named Ellen Potter was the author. Okay. Yeah, that was a funny thing because the publisher just called me up and was like, "Yeah, we have this book. We're looking for an illustrator. We think you'd be a good fit." And I read it, and I just like really fell in love with the whole story to the point where I was like, "I just want to, I want to really go to town on this and and treat it like it's my own thing that I wrote." And so, like Ellen and I became friends. And as I was drawing these characters and situations and like working through the whole story just these little songs would pop into my head like you know like even his name duda i was like do 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 like that would just be in my head and so i just told her i was like i just have all these songs coming to me like i'm just gonna write these songs like cool with you and she's like please you know go ahead so yeah it just was like oh we'll have like a record kind of accompanying the book when it comes out and i gotta say like i don't know that i've ever had a music project come to me that quickly. It was like, I would, I would go to my studio, you know, a song idea would come like within a few minutes, I'd written it within an hour. I had demoed it. Like it just, I don't know. I just was in the zone. Like I just was channeling those songs from, from somewhere. It was, it was really crazy. That's, that's really interesting. I wonder, I wonder if it has to be with like the kind of fully in companies encompassing yourself within like, drawing and anim- bringing this world to like v- life visually and off yeah. like these notes and like kind of the yeah. audio like the, the follow um i think that that did yeah it was so immersed in it right it was like it felt effortless because I, w- I was doing so much work during the day on you know just steeping myself in the narrative and these characters so it like would come to me really easily like oh if this one was, if this guy was going to sing what would he sing about and i just like knew it right away you know and like yeah. And as far as like it's songwriting, you don't have to worry. Like, it's, it's songs that are specific to a thing like resonate more, and like that—that's like a cliche, like tidbit of songwriting. Write what you know, you know. And like uh-huh. in that in that world, like everything is so specific, like Gunther and like this rat that died. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the, like you get drawn into it because what this so specific, and like listening through for a minute, I was like, this is really cool like i don't <laughs> like this, this guy's going out there with like specific, i can't even remember anything <laughs> that detail about my childhood um, yeah i mean she's a truly great writer she's uh, to me what i love about the book is you know and my kids were this the right age when i was working on this so it was really a joyful project to be able to share it with them and like sh- you know play the songs for them and draw with them and um but she's like a She's a, it's a kind of like one of those gross out books, but it's written kind of on the level of like Roald Dahl or something. It's very literary too. Like she's very good at structuring a narrative. So yeah, I mean, it's, there's just so much richness to draw from. I could just like open up a chapter and be like, oh yeah, this is a song right here. Uh, Here's another one. You know, it just was, uh, it really came out of her storytelling, I think. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Like, (laughs) Like another one I was thinking of the cat's room because like there's like that thing as a kid you don't want to go back home you know you're like oh mm. your friend's place is so cool or, yes. or the, the apartment in this case is so cool and like that yeah. musically you really captured it and that 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 got stuck in my head for a minute. Um, oh that's cool that's one of my favorites from there too it just just that longing especially when you're when you're young and you're hanging out with a girl for the first time and she's like a really cool girl and she right. like knows all this cool stuff. You're like, ah, oh, I don't ever want to leave here. You know? Like yeah. The, the bands on the wall, you know what I mean? Like the whole idea of showing someone how that, how not showing, telling someone how they feel, but kind of showing it. And like, it, that, <laughs> that, that, that took me back. That was so like, that, that's, that's, I mean, it's, I, I think it speaks highly on your, uh, on your ability to like, dive in emotionally to what you're working on and express it in different ways. Um, oh, so like, thanks for saying that. That means a lot. Yeah. Well, it, it clearly was there. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm listening to this kid's record, not knowing <laughs> at first. So I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it driving around. So I'll just put it on play and like, um, cause I got like a 45 minute drive to work every day. So I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> but, cool. um, you got to spend some time in that world. That's yeah. good. But uh, it, but musically, what I found interesting is like it it was much more layered than the EPs that came before it, like the one 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 and the two two. Like um, mm-hmm. those records seem to be a little more bare bones, and like 
this mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if the order is correct because I know there was a band in between, but like um, was it kind of like a as as far as like doing this for this kids record because like the new record is super super layered and there's like in a good way like there's like a lot of like time and attention put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, was that kind of a learning process or was that a style choice to kind of like uh, move on from like a more bare bones like because even some of your art can be very like here it is it's not too detailed mm-hmm. it tells what it needs to tell and like, mm-hmm. those first few EPs I kind of feel represent that um, yeah was that more of like a, a choice to like uh, more expand this world of this of this character for a um, this kids record. And was that kind of like a learning process that grew into the next record? Or was this just like each project, oh, I want more of this and more of that? Yeah, so I think the the order was actually, there's the Bischoff's record, which was like a band, and we right. worked with a producer named Jeff Lipstein. And I kind of like, I just learned a lot being around him and all the choices he made. And that was the first time I really had a producer working with me, like kind of, taking my songs to this other place that I couldn't take them. And so I, I kind of like absorbed all, all the things Jeff was doing. And then I did that kid's record right after. And I was kind of like, I basically, I played almost everything on that record, except for like a couple guitars, as my friend Pete would play or like the violin. But I, I just did, I layered all that stuff myself, almost like a, like I used to do like four track demos when I was in high school or something. It was just like, you know, do it intuitively first take, just pile it on. So, yeah, I think I think that came out of working with Jeff. And then actually the Angel Numbers EPs were after that. So maybe that was just a, a reaction to like, you know, like strip it way down again. Um, and also those those EPs were produced by uh, my guitar player in that band named Pete Gallup. So some of those choices were just his. I think he has a sensibility that's like that is a little more bare bones and um, bold and direct and, you know. So, yeah, but I think my natural tendency is to want to go for that, like, you know, wall of sound thing. And so I think that's why the new record is a return to that. And, you know, pairing, working with Mark Bingham, who's just, I mean, I can't even say enough good things about this guy. I really think he's a genius. Um, just he he kind of preserved some of the qualities of my demo, but just knew how to, like, dial it all up and make it so big and so so rich, you know. So, but, yeah, I think that's my natural sensibility is to want to make things pretty layered and, and, uh, and intense and (laughs) complex, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's the, that's the the art of the record. The the art of the recording is, you know, you don't want, like, of course, when you play it live, it's going to be like you and a guitar or you and a guitar and a drummer, or, you know, I mean, it's going to be, it's not going to be what you can come back and visit. So I, 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 I agree with the sentiment that the record should be more of a like a polished, like layered, like finite thing. Um, mm-hmm. So that's okay. Okay, I got that backwards then. But um, with a, I found it interesting with the the angel numbers. That one, that's a cool concept, and like, um, it got kind of like a like a white stripey vibe, like with some of the yeah. tunes. Mm-hmm. And I can uh, see that. And if, if it's coming from a guitar guy that was producing, that makes sense. Oh yeah, he's. I mean, he's one of my favorite guitar players ever because he's just. I don't know how to describe it. Like it's like every note he plays has like some pain and emotion and edge in it. I just love the way he plays. Um, but yeah, it's a very guitar-heavy record. I think for that reason, because he, you know, he he layered all those guitars on there, and I just, I yeah, I love what he does, and I trust him, and so that's kind of where he took some of the songs. What one of the tunes I, I don't remember the exact title, but it was about um, looking at the eclipse. Um, oh yeah, yeah, the eclipse, right? And like that, that was kind of reminiscent of uh, the kids' record in a way of describing the situation, and like you, you do a really like good job at like describing a very unique situation in like. Oh, I, I, it sounds dumb to say you wrote that good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you wrote that situation. I knew what was going on, but sonically, like when you're writing a song, you you're limited to what you can talk about just because of the pace of the music or just the lack. It's like quick poetry in a way. Like you can't really say like exactly what you're seeing. 
but with yeah. a lot with a lot of your songs you do a really good job of like describing the situation the kind of immerse in that world is that kind <laughs> of like a, a takeaway from that kids record um yeah that's a good that's a good question too i mean so that actually that song i wrote when i was like 18 and i was at oberlin college for the first time and we were um there was an eclipse and it was like this whole scene it was like in the middle of the day everyone was outside trying to you know wear sunglasses or, or i think you could look through like a, a cd if you look through a cd you could look at the sun or I, I don't know there was all these people just doing this and it was just a scene and it was like a so i guess i took that that literal thing and just made it absurd and like what if this became like an over-the-top kind of carnival atmosphere um but yeah and then i don't know but i guess at its base like what you're picking up on i mean story is just really important to me i mean i I call when i talk about this record i talk about like i think i write retro pop story songs that's how i think of them they're just like they're all little encapsulated short stories and i and i've always been a fan of story songs so i guess that's just what i'm drawn to writing too who are some of the uh, the songwriters that have inspired that type of approach well i mean i would say like the earliest american music is all story songs especially if you go if you listen to like cowboy music um you know going back to like the turn of the century even they're just these stories they're like about you know this this cowherd guy rode into town and he was the baddest and he could ride a horse the best and then he left and we miss him or here's here's the exploits of this criminal or here's that girl that got away you know they are all these beautiful and a lot of folk songs are too they're just um you know trying to capture a a little narrative um but yeah i'm trying to think of like i mean obviously bob dylan writes some great story songs um uh i mean david byrne with talking heads there definitely were some songs that were just like you know perfectly constructed little stories that began and ended um even something like uh you know once in a lifetime like you know this guy finding himself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife like how did i get here you just there's a sense of space and time and and yeah specific character in that case you know um they might be giants. I mean, one of the, a huge song for me was Anna Ang. That's just such a brilliant song, and and I really get a sense of that relationship. And it, it's definitely there's like some poetic, um, more abstract moments, but you really do get a sense of this, you know, long distance relationship, like all the way across the world, being in love with this person. So yeah, those are just a few. It, it yeah, I can't, you know, it's. It is just this. It's it, it's it's a little story. It's it sounds. It's kind of a dumb uh, realization on my part. I was like, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. That's cool. It's cool, and it's yeah. I guess like sometimes it takes like we get so caught up in the, like the 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 tree within the forest. You forget to see the forest, you know, because mm-hmm. you're too busy trying to see the one thing. Um, mm. Is story writing something that like well, like well, I guess let's take a step kind of back. Was like art in like your the medium of drawing more like your first expressive uh outlet or was it music well i mean if we take it all the way back to when i was like two there's like a there's a picture <laughs> that my parents took of me sitting on a, a staircase where i'm holding a tennis racket pretending to play guitar so like that was really obvious i loved hearing guitar and music and, and mostly at church and stuff but like i definitely uh, wanted to play guitar at a very young age. And at the same time, I was like always drawing, I would make like my own little picture books, um, and, you know, newspaper comic strip type things. So, yeah, I mean, but I would say like by high school, I was definitely identified as a musician and I had a band and like, we were trying to make it and, you know, get our record out and playing around the East village. Um, but I was also drawing. So I was like drawing our flyers or, you know, I was learning to paint in art class. And uh, it wasn't until really I got to college at Oberlin that I like got really serious about comics and was like, Oh, this is, this is like, could be just as powerful as painting in the right hands. And, um, you know, so I would say then the next like 20 years was really about learning how to be a cartoonist and, and tell stories in pictures 
So I guess, you know, in parallel to that, anytime I wrote music, I'm sure those two were talking back and forth to each other, like what I was learning in terms of drawing comics. And, you know, in comics, it's about compressing everything down to just the simplest form. So like the simplest number of words that can fit into a word bubble or a caption, the simplest possible drawing so that you just like read it immediately and you're not like caught up in all the details that's something you can really apply to songwriting too. It really has to be very compressed and efficient. And usually you just have, you know, two verses, a chorus and a bridge and got to get the whole story in there. So every word counts, you know? Right. What was it? And what if like, and so I guess, you know, that, that, that's really interesting. Like to kind of compare the, the two in like, because there's that lack of time and lack of space, um, mm. with you know with 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 comics there's the lack of space right you can only fit so much in a bubble you can only fit mm-hmm. so much in a frame um yeah, yeah. Like, at least for, like so like when uh when you started to like write like did you it's kind of I don't, I don't know is it easier to stick to a form like i i've talked to a couple comic artists and they like sometimes there's the splash pages right where it's like it takes up a whole page and like it just is one you know, it's one word, one note, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is it easier to like stick it to a frame in a sense where, like, you know, you have this size, this size to tell this tale, in the like mm-hmm. in the sense of like a song, right? You only have so many verses before the chorus. So, with mm-hmm. you, is framing as far as like a approaching a song or like, because when you're, I imagine it's a couple drafts to get to get like the story through comic or song, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, so does the framing of that like kind of define or does the framing of that confine? Yeah, I would say I kind of find, actually find the frame through whatever fragment first comes to me. So it's like in the case of a song, you know, I'll often wake up from a dream where I've been, I've been dreaming some like crazy elaborate song and it's like the most heavenly, you know, rich thing you've ever heard. And then I'm, I woke up and I'm just, I just have some little bit of a line and maybe the melody of like some bit of it. And I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta get this down and yeah. I'll just record that in my phone. But then like trying to then reconstruct it into its form. Um, it's almost like, I think of it like doing a crossword puzzle where you've got like these missing spaces and I have to just figure out, well, what, what is the frame of this one fragment? What would make sense to surround this one little piece of the song? And then it's like, it, it's satisfying once I realize what that frame is. And, I guess with comics, it's kind of the same. I might have an idea for something, um, but I really won't know the page layout or even the panel layout until I'm starting to, like, feel my way into it. So, you know, in, in comics, like, an extra-large panel or a full-page uh, moment is a is a huge moment, and and it's, it's all rhythmic in a way. So it's like, you can think of that as, like, a, a whole note versus a 16th note or something. You really want to hold on that image. So, but yeah, I wouldn't just like, you know, I wouldn't like think of the, the framing and then try and fill it. Cause it, it seems to like, it, it needs to, the frame, it's kind of like doing a, a big painting, you know, you wouldn't do a painting within the frame first. You would figure out what size the canvas needs to be. And then you'd put a frame around it, you know? Okay. Okay. It's, it's yeah. interesting. It's, you know, that's because of, they're both like, they're both like this mode of expression and the it's, it's really interesting the similarities. I've never talked to a a, a cartoonist who's also like a musician. It's always been one way or the other. Like it seems like a, <laughs> you know you know like it's it's hard to split like that amount of focus that like a like a a drawing needs to convey itself and a song needs to convey itself. Um, oh yeah, yeah. They're both very demanding. I agree. <laughs> right, like because the amount of detail to bring out what's happening in an image. And the amount of layers and like just writing that goes into capturing a song, like pff, I need the mic up the snare drum, but now it's in, you know what I mean? Like there's all these little things that go into it you don't think about. Same with a drawing. Um, yeah. Like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just it's really fascinating that to approach now, like the kind of like dwell in the that uh in the kids book universe where you're kind of like living in both. Was there like and it, like, it's interesting that you're dreaming about this. So, like, I, I'm guessing just with the, with the amount of detail it takes to convey um, visually, like, imagine the work hours that you put yourself through to get through it. 
are like pretty ridiculous and to be like dreaming of stuff later you know what i mean like that that has to, that that's screaming workaholism in a good way um <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i'm lucky like my wife kind of insists on uh just having some downtime as a family and you know i do try and keep pretty normal studio hours so i'll get here at like 10 and probably leave at like six or seven and and uh you know, rarely, once in a while, I might just be like, I'm going to just stay, honey, and I'll stay till like one in the morning or something. That's just, that's not that often, though. But I will say, I mean, you know, some people work a job so they then they can have a life that they enjoy. But uh, like my work is my life and I, I really am always working on things. So like if I'm driving in the car, I'm just humming whatever little song I happen to be working on at the moment. And I'm, I'm kind of working out the melody and I'm, maybe I'm working out the words and I'm, I'm just singing nonsense in place of the words until some words start to form there i'm just i'm just always turning things around in my head so but it doesn't feel like work to me it's it's kind of like it is my downtime it is just play and so if i go home after drawing all day i might just want to you know play my guitar for an hour and just like you know figure out some some chord changes and just for fun you know what i mean but then all that might get used later so it's just i don't know i think it's just my approach i try not to get super intense with any of it um until it's time to like finish something then it, it might get a more, more intense but i'm trying to keep a a playful attitude towards as much of it as i can you know that's a good because if you think about it there's not too many jobs that you play you know music yeah. you play music if you're in theater you play you play yeah. play you play drama i don't know sports are, <laughs> yeah. are, are a play but like sure, sure not not too many so okay so like the the um uh, the music's kind of like the after, like that's the almost, I don't want to say hobby in a way, but that's the more relaxing mode of expressing uh, or more fun version. And, and that, I think that's, that's cool that you keep it more of a, a play approach, right? Because it's like so much of songwriting and like improv is this like mysterious, like magic thing that happens. Like you, you catch that melody in your head and you're looking mm -hmm. at the potted plant. So you think it's the guy, whatever, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> even though that's from the book, but, uh, you know, like the, there's this magic that happens to it. And like, but the, it's yeah. also like a, a practice too. It's like this weird, like a dual, like thing, like where you have to have a little bit of both. Um, mm -hmm. so I think the more, that's a really cool approach to it to keep it more light and just keep it kind of open. So when things do come, you can kind of focus on them. Mm. That's yeah. cool. That's really cool. I don't know if that's, I think, I think that's, yeah, I have a feeling that's like whenever I'm in a living room with people and we're just sort of playing with no mics and it's just acoustic and you just hear our voices like mix in the air in the room. I just kind of always feel like, well, that's how music first started and in some ways is at its purest form. Like you're around the campfire playing some rocks and, you know, some, <laughs> some animal uh, that you've stretched out into a string or I don't, I don't even know what these early instruments were, but that, that really intimate, you know, togetherness, playfulness, you know, relaxing after a long day of hunting or whatever. It's just like, that's where music used to fit into people's lives. And I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of feel like, that is a, a way in which my music functions in my life. It is this, um, yeah, it's this playful thing. It's this downtime. It's, um, and then, I mean, I get really serious when I'm then recording this. So I want it, right, I want it to right. be the best it can be in the studio, but just, yeah, the, the making of it and the dreaming of it and the demoing it, I just try and keep it really kind of light and loose if I can. You know? Was it, is there like a, do you have like a, as far as like a, like, is it is it all like do you have a routine of like just so do you just record everything you kind of do and like refer back to it or is it kind of a mental recording like oh that chord progression kind of works with that line i mumbled the other day <laughs> yeah i mean so i've kind of hit upon a process over the years of just anytime i have a little snatch of melody or or a lyric or just even a voice saying some dialogue or something i'll just notice it and then i'll get out my phone and record it and i have I probably have like several hundreds of these still sitting on my phone that I'm always sifting through. And I, I forget about them. Like years could go by and then I'll, I'll try and go through the folders and organize them and it'll, I'll listen through and be like, Oh yeah, there's that idea. So I'll get out my guitar and try and like 
play some chords that might fit with the thing I'm hearing. And then if that really excites me, then yeah, then it's like, I'll kind of work with it maybe unconsciously for the next week and just kind of turn it around. And then when I'm ready, like when I'm ready to say, okay, I'm going to make this song now, I'll sit down with my notebook and my guitar and I'll really just try and like write out the thing. Like here's the lyrics. And usually by then the stuff kind of comes pretty quickly because I have been, you know, turning it around in my head and probably even dreaming about it. And, you know, just in the, in the recesses of my unconscious, they're already working on it. So then when I'm ready to sit and write, like it, it does seem to come fairly quickly at that point. That's cool. That's it. It makes it, it's interesting. Um, I wish like I can remember my dreams. Like there's a, like, I can think of two times I've dreamed dreamt of a melody and like kind of tried to figure it out later. But like, <laughs> there's something to that, like unconscious, like, uh, I was talking with Bill Stevenson, um, from descendants. He like, he dreams mm. shit all the time. Apparently, like he keeps a recorder mm. outside of his bed, and like, oh, nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, how do you fully hear this shit? Like, <laughs> and like he's well, he's like that guy, you know, where he hears the whole picture and like will chart it out and tell everyone what to do. Wow. Do you find That's that cool. for Do you find that for yourself, or do you hear the whole thing and like you kind of guide the people you're working with, even though you record a lot of it? Um, or is it? Yeah, kind of, I, sorry. No, no, it's fine. I mean, when I'm when I'm like writing the thing, it's usually like just guitar and and whatever I can sing, and I'll like record that version into my phone. That's like the rawest demo, and then I usually do like a more elaborate demo. Again, it's still very rough, and there's all kinds of mistakes, and it's not, and I'm sometimes I'm just making stuff as I, as I go, but it's definitely more layered. Where I'm, you know, this is this is when I might stay till one in the morning or something. I'll just take a song and try and do like four to eight tracks on it and just, you know, layer it up with some harmonies and melodies and maybe some keyboard pads or something and make it really sound like a, a recorded song. And then I think when I go into the studio, we'll at least have that to refer to. Now this working with Mark, like I kind of gave him carte blanche. I was just like, if any of that's interesting or worth keeping fine, but let's, I want to hear what you hear in this song. And then he'll, the people he's, you know, he got for this record are just so brilliant that they, any part they're going to play, like I'll absolutely prefer to, to whatever my little half-baked thing was. So, you know, yeah, a lot of, uh, part of the fun right now is just like releasing some of that control and just trusting other people like, oh, you're hearing this in that song. I never would have even heard that. That's, that's really cool. You know, like I have a song I just worked on with Mark now that I never would have thought of it as like a piano ballad, but he got this like incredible piano player to pay, to play this part that I just, I had played clumsily on the guitar and suddenly like it's a whole different song, you know? And that's really cool. Yeah. It's really, it's really hard to kind of like, in a way it's really hard to ask for help musically or creatively. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's personally, that's a me statement. I find like, I'll, I'll figure out how to play the banjo and I'll come record that bit. And like in my head, like, you know, two great banjo players, ask them to record on your thing. Like, (laughs) I know. Yeah. It is hard to release control, but it is very freeing when you do. Yeah. Right. It's super cool because now it's not just your song, but it's also part of their song. And like, yeah. Yeah. Like how you said, it's always that thing that's way cooler than you could have imagined because you had the big, the big thought of the the start of it. Does that like, right. um, so the kind of reverse the approach to like kind of how you like uh, will nurture a song or a, a lyric idea or a song seed into a song. Does that um, with comics does that kind of pay off the same way or is that a completely different approach? Yeah, it's it's pretty different. I mean, I think all the comics I've done, um, they've all been autobiographical, so right. they're all based on my life, and I. I tend to just like write lots of notes about what I want to include. And then um, I do like thumbnail drawings of like really rough panel layouts. Like how much of the story can I fit into this one page? How many panels would it take to tell that bit on that page? You know, there's all kinds of like, it's like almost mathematic, like it's mathematical. It's like you're just dividing and, and adding and, you know, you're, uh, there's a lot of planning and, and design work that goes into it. Um, so in some ways, you know, the, the toughest part for me in comics is just the, the writing of it, like getting down to what actual words go into these panels. And then I tend to, 
you know, I got to say, like, the stereotype of the cartoonist, especially the male cartoonist, is just someone who, like, really fetishizes all the tools and wants every brushstroke to be perfect and really wants to show off, like, at how great they are at drawing. And I got to say, I've, like, run to the opposite approach, which is, like, the drawing is almost the least important part to me. Like, to me, the architecture of comics is the writing. And if the writing's no good, I don't really care how beautiful it is. Like, I just don't want to read it. So I'm trying to get the story right, the emotion right, and the beats right. And then the drawings are usually kind of like pretty rough and quick and, and simple on my part. And, you know, that's on purpose, but it's not for, it's not to everyone's taste, but that's just my approach. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty different. I mean, you know, Art Spiegelman is someone I still revere. And he said in an interview, someone was like, was it really cathartic making your book Mouse? And he's like, uh, you know, it's about as cathartic as like making an inlaid wood table where you're like fitting these perfect, uh, you know, slivers of wood together into the right pattern. It's it's kind of like that. It's not really cathartic. It's a lot of planning and, uh, you know, meticulous, uh, you know, scratching and building and, yeah, huh, inking. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a beautiful, like, thought of that because uh, I, I found myself, like, talking randomly at – to a, a guy who makes like this is at a coffee shop by the way who makes like wooded like carpet he makes t tables and cabinets and stuff mm -hmm. and um, I was telling I have a friend who runs an art gallery who does wood uh, wood burning it's called mm -hmm. Negative Space in Cleveland and mm -hmm. um, I was like oh yeah that's super cool and like I started telling him about him and he's like yeah I can never do that I can't be I can't be artsy I'm like what do you mean you you crafted that pile into this functional thing like that's yeah. i feel yeah. equally as expressive um yeah yeah i think that's super punk rock in a way that kind of like it doesn't matter how how these chords sound like it's saying the song to go back to your approach you know it's 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 saying what it needs to convey mm. yeah that, i mean yeah i think my my drawing approach is kind of punk influence in that way it's a little bit rude and a little bit in your face and like kind of you know thumbing my nose a little bit at the people who who are too fussy with their i mean i you know i love people who have like gorgeous perfect art too i just could never be one of those people i'm just not i don't think i'm cut out for that you know it's it, it's still expressing you know it's doing the same thing and like i think that's that's as that's as ian mckay as like is Picasso, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's yeah. saying like you can say what you need to say with the same things. It just doesn't have to be as like elegant, <laughs> you know. It can mm -hmm. be equally as impactful. Yeah, um, totally. And yeah. with a uh, my brain is hanging upside down. I just to kind of speak on the punk ethos. Just the Ramones tune right there in the title, you know, makes yeah. so much sense. <laughs> why you see what you see and you read what you read when you get into it. That. Uh, <laughs> That's that, cool, yeah. Like, and that song, um, for me, has always been like this weirdly impactful Ramones song. Like, I love yeah. the Ramones, but that song in particular that that hits the feels in a different way. And um, I I totally agree. Yeah. I was gonna. It, sorry, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna ask, what is that for you? Because you you used it as a book title. Yeah, it was it was this thing where I mean I was really into them in like I don't know eighth grade or something, and then. When I was 30, I was just like re-listening to them and just being like, God, this is the greatest stuff in the world. And I was like learning some of their songs on my guitar. And, and I was playing that one in particular, like over and over again, just like belting it out, you know, just for fun. And this is as I was working on the book and I didn't have a title. And then it just hit me. I was like, oh, that should I should just name the book that. And something about that song, like, you know, it's a very specific, it's kind of a story song, actually. It's, it's really specific about like Ronald Reagan going to fucking Germany and like, yeah. you know, cozying up to these people who are basically fascists and just really, you know, trying to tear them a new one over that. But like, I, you know, when I was listening, when I was playing that song and singing it, I could just personalize it though. It's, it didn't have to be about like geopolitics. It, it felt like it felt just about as specific as, you know, emotions that I could be feeling in the moment too. Like he was channeling something this outrage and this, you know, this sense of, uh, you know, having, I don't know what it is, like feeling violated by somebody. That's kind of what I hear in that song. And, and just the, 
the power of like yelling no back in that person's face. Like that's what a lot of, I think punk rock means to me. And so, yeah, the, the, the book was that for me, it was kind of like one big screaming my truth back out to the world and being like, fuck you all. This is, this is what happened to me. No one's going to gaslight me. No one's going to tell their version of my story. This is my story. I'm telling it myself. So yeah, it was like a pretty punk influence kind of book. Cause like that, that book goes pretty deep and like is very revealing in a lot of ways. And like just even the four, the four big sections, like mom, dad, sex and race, you know, like those are heavy topic, you know? So like after, after a project like that, was it, was it, were you relieved in a lot of ways or was this kind of like, cause I'd imagine also it'd be a little like anxiety provoking kind of burying yourself like that. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, I definitely felt like a changed person after finishing it. Um, that book's really complicated for me for a lot of reasons. Like, I think, I think the person who made that book was, was pretty crazy and was like kind of on a narcissistic bender. So, and also I just have always been kind of missing that part of my brain that would be afraid or ashamed (laughs) to reveal something. I just, people say, Oh, you're so courageous or brave. I just am missing that, that thing (laughs) that would hold anyone back. So I don't really think that's like a, a virtue always. So I don't know. And I, and I could never get away with making that book. Now I would just be, absolutely pilloried because it's you know i'm just really trying to reveal like the most ugly ugly sides of my racism and sexism and that's just not approach that an approach that i think is very welcome right now it's like oh cool a privileged white guy just talking about how racist and sexist he is yeah i want (laughs) to read that you know and i think the book is better than that but i can just really see a take on it that's that and i i wouldn't blame whoever had that take but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a book I had to do. I had to kind of vomit that all out, and I'm glad it's out there and it keeps finding people. But, yeah, it does provoke a little bit of embarrassment for me. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I Like I said, I couldn't make that book now. It's, 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 I don't know. I think, like, one, I agree. Like, it sucks that, one, you wouldn't be able to make that book now because I think that's important to be like, hey, I made mistakes and I didn't understand things and, like, to put it out there to kind of like talk through it. You know, a lot of times I feel like we don't get to like talk through things like because you just don't talk like not yeah. that I'm saying let's go be racist and sexist. Not that I'm saying that. No, no, <laughs> like, I get it. But I, I think it's important to be able to be wrong and be like not and, and self-reflect in the way and grow out of it. And like it, if you don't, it becomes like this shame that just bottles you down and like. So yeah. uh, I'm glad the initial uh, thing was a release and a changed person. Um, yeah. Because, like, <laughs> that's, like, another uh, – kind of bounce to your other book that I found really interesting is you kind of took on all these other problems that you didn't have. Um, <laughs> yeah. You, but, you know, they kind of speak on, like, growing from this, like, go, being able to be wrong. Also, that's that example. Like, all these other people are going through these things, and you're kind of growing from that. Um, Mm -hmm. what was that experience like? Yeah. So my second book qualification you're talking about? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, sure. So that was, yeah, that came out a couple of years ago. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a book I'm proud of. It feels, I feel similarly like I, I feel like a different person after having made it. It took me like six years to make it. It was a really long, arduous process. And it was me wrestling with, you know, growing up in this 12 step, family that was kind of culty honestly they they my parents treated it a bit like a cult and i felt like it was pushed on me my whole life and i finally like relented and started going to these programs when i was like 30 and i was feeling really vulnerable and had a kid and was like feeling really fucked up um so the story is really about you know how did i get into going to these programs how did i get sucked in to the point where I really feel like I got addicted to going to addiction programs, which is really ironic. Um, and I felt like not okay unless I was there. And I felt like I would lose my mind if I, if I wasn't there. So it really, it was driving a wedge in my marriage and like really almost broke up my marriage, how sucked up, how sucked up I was by this whole world. So it was just about trying to like grapple with that and, you know, reflect what really goes on in these rooms and, 
and try not to be judgmental too, because those rooms have saved some people's lives and they're yeah. like the perfect thing for some people. They were kind of the perfectly wrong thing for me. It just, it just, um, in some ways it kind of activated my narcissism in a different way. It kind of, uh, you know, pulled me away from my wife. It kind of helped me to just pathologize like every human failing that I have rather than just seeing it as something anyone can relate to. So yeah, I, I had so many mixed feelings about it, but it was important again to sort of get my truth down and uh, yeah, just get that out and express it. And then, you know, if people see how people feel about it and some people can relate and some people probably make some angry, um, probably every reaction in between those two, you know, it's it's a touchy subject because it, it works and doesn't work for so many people. Um, 12 step programs. Um, one thing that it's interesting, like, the kind of like, is it is it the 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 comfort of the schedule? Is it the comfort of I can't get into any of these things I'm not trying to get into because I know I'm going to go to this, um, or is it was it kind of the comfort of the community that made you feel addicted to these programs? Yeah, I think they work. You know, the opposite of addiction is really feeling a part of something. So the reason why they work for people who are addicts is that they're replacing that, you know, addiction with a community. And these people, you find people who love you and care for you and you have a place to go and connect. So in my case, I mean, I was really hurting too. I mean, I didn't go to these rooms for fun. I was just, I was really in pain, but um, yeah, I think I felt, you know, you feel blissed out in these rooms. You feel like mm. I'm, I'm one with everybody. And, you know, there's, there's all these boundaries. You can talk for your three minutes. No one interrupts you. You feel validated. Um, and there's, a, there's kind of, again, to be a little critical, there's sort of a false sense of intimacy because these strangers are just bearing their souls after never having met each other sometimes. And you right. feel really close to people, but you don't actually know them. And so, and then someone can just like, not come one week and never show up again. And so there's, there's just, it's not the same as like really having friends or really seeing a therapist for 10 years or being in a therapy group or like some, something where you're committed and you, you have like an ongoing relationship with that person. There's something else a little bit weirder going on there. Um, and it is, for me, it was addictive because it was like, I'd get high when I went to the meetings, I would feel kind of like blissed out and at one with the universe. And then when you go back home and your kid's screaming and you know, your wife is criticizing you about something. I found myself like even more impatient and me even more irritable because I was, I was so high from the meeting. So it just, yeah, it, it, uh, I don't know. I don't want to be too critical. Right, I'm just right. saying like for me, it, it, it just didn't work, you know? Yeah, no, it's it, I, cause, uh, I've, I, I had the, I had some friends that were in AA and I found myself, and and my and my mother um so I found myself in meetings like uh more often than than not and like um hmm. like uh the the uh, I'm trying to remember what it was the one where it's like the family based one um, Eleanor yes yeah 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 and yeah. then uh I oddly got a a gig running an open mic night at a a not a bar a sober bar called not a bar. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. it was like it was it was like a bar like the atmosphere of a bar but you'd go up and you can get like a diet coke or a slushy. <laughs> it, uh, it, 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 cool. it yeah it was cool it took me back to like um high school when you would have like those or middle school where you'd have the dances on the weekends or whatever like the social <laughs> yeah. group where like they try yeah. to create that atmosphere but it's just it's just lighter and like um, and it was cool, you know, it was a really, really interesting environment to kind of run an open mic in because mm-hmm. more often than not, people were kind of more conveyed to themselves. They weren't as like open, like, like how you kind of, the, the reason I bring this up is because you bring that three minutes of being allowed to do a thing. Like it seems mm-hmm. there's, there's just this, this way and like, you know, I, and I think it works for a lot of people. And one thing that's great is it's free. You know, mm-hmm. you just have to like yeah. find it, but um, also like, I think that it's just like a, with like a schedule of like a, a creative schedule or, or a work schedule, like or a work community or uh, a, a band or something. Like you, you get to immerse yourself in that, and it should be okay to be taken away from it. You should be fine if you don't rehearse for a week, you know. But when you're yeah. not, you know, that's when you're. Uh, that's when maybe it's not working. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll say a, a couple of nice things I'll say. I would say the programs were like the most democratic uh, system I've ever experienced, where yeah. every week was a new speaker. Uh, every few months, there was a new leader of the group. A treasurer would rotate. They'd collect money and pay for their rent themselves. Like, it was a really highly functioning kind of democratic vibe, and I really appreciated that. It was kind of miraculous. And it was people who you would never necessarily meet otherwise. You know, I'm sure there's tons of Republicans and Democrats all existing yeah. in that room, and they have a different purpose together. And so there's something really beautiful about that. Um, and there were really good tools I learned, especially like in the money program that I did, um, just about being more aware of your finances. And, you know, it's kind of like a boot camp for, for growing up in, in a few certain ways. And there, there are definitely like principles in Al-Anon that I still reflect on all the time, really about like having good boundaries and detaching from insane people in your life. And all that stuff is, is really good. I guess I would say like at its, at its base, what I couldn't get down with ultimately was that it's still kind of a sin based ideology, which is that, you know, they, they really believe like you were born with this disease and it's going to be with you for life. And without the program, you're fucked and you only have a day at a time of not being fucked. So it's just like, I, I believe in growth. I believe that people can get better and stay better. It's not that, you know, even people who are addicted to things, I think therapy works and, you know, harm reduction approach to substance abuse works. Like there's other ways that are not God and sin based that, that actually work for people. So that's, that's where I kind of part ways. I th Yeah, I agree with that. Um, now I didn't, I didn't, I didn't spend as much time as you did. Um, but you know, just kind of being a, able to observe the culture from kind of afar, you know, and the, in the certain circumstances, it's definitely how you said, like, it's definitely the big book thing, you know, um, the kind of yeah. completely 180, <laughs> <laughs> sure. um, going back to this new record. One thing I found really interesting is like you, the first two tunes on the record kind of quarantine, like current event, like tunes, like have like this approach where they like build in with like, uh, they start the structure in a different way. And then, like, the middle half of the album up until, like, I Love You, Duh, which I mm -hmm. got, like, some cool craft work and Talking Heads vibes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was, like, very kind of, like, Beatles, like, harmony, lush, built up, like... I, 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 was that kind of, like, in that in writing those songs? Like, because most of those were accompanied with the, the female um, backup singer. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they have this, like, really, like... Beatles-esque vibe is that kind yeah. of where you heard that going or was that kind of the producer or was like that when she added mm. yeah I mean definitely Mark had a vision for these songs um we were we were pretty in sync though uh, and we did kind of yeah we we had we traded notes back and forth a lot um while while doing takes and then in the editing process too and mixing um but, you know, I would say, like, each song was its own little microverse, um, microcosm. Yeah. Right? Like, it was just sort of, like, whatever the song needed to kind of be its full, fullest self. Um, I mean, I certainly am very steeped in the Beatles, and, like, yeah, I'm sure the influence is all over the whole album. Um, and I think, you know, part of their genius was just, like, how incredibly eclectic uh, their material was, especially when they were just learning to play and, and, you know, gigging in Germany and stuff and just grinding it out. Like the, the different styles and the different genres that they would play, like no other band was being that adventurous with their set list. And I think that shows in, in all their writing and then, and all their producing, um, too, it's just like the ideas colliding with each other, you know, this one's got like a reggae lick in it. And then also some, crazy guitar line and you know it's just um so that's that's definitely an influence in terms of uh being super eclectic and uh you know going where the song needs to go and trying to i guess i'm always interested in like kind of complicating and and subverting an expectation for a song so you think it's mm -hmm. going to be one thing but then it's sort of a a head fake and it's got a whole different thing going on so i, I try to do that a bit too um Something like, you know, if we became lovers, it just sounds like this 
groovy 70s you know yacht yeah, rocky yeah, kind yeah. of love song but then it's the lyrics are just like completely bleak and bitter and you know uh, so i don't know that sort of thing yeah it's in that juxtaposition of like of lush and beautiful music and like a beautiful melody and like terribly sad lyrics on top of it <laughs> Yeah, seems to be. That's a really uh, that's a, that works. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, when it uh, inter, what, but so after like um, when it gets to meme like after um, after I love you, duh. Then it kind of the rest of the tunes get this this kind of like punk vibe, in a way. Mm. Especially with the mm-hmm. meme too, like you know, like tearing apart internet culture in a way, or like not tearing <laughs> apart, but noting yeah, on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were these songs like kind of written at? different time like the end like i think the album is very put together in a a cool flow of a way like it starts off on a like um it draws you in it gets much like it gets super super lush and harmonic and then it kind of like tapers out on like these like punk tunes and Mm -hmm. um or more like more energized like was were those tunes written like like with an idea to be their own thing or like because what's cool about the album is it's like if I had to define like, oh, David's music sounds like this, I wouldn't be able to because it's it's everything. Which oh. I personally <laughs> love that idea that like, it, 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 you have to listen to the whole thing. Sorry, like, <laughs> tell me what you like. But, um... <laughs> yeah, that's that's cool. I like that you like that about it, and I do think of it as. I mean, I would hope that just about every listener could at least have one song and that they, that they dig, you know, because they are so different. Um, I like what you said too. I do think. I was kind of thinking of it in groups of like five songs. So I feel like there's a flow between the first five and then the next five. And then those last five do, they almost tell different stories or there's like just a different flow with those together. But I also think of the the record's kind of like a circle. Like it kind of goes, by the time it gets to rock my mind, that's sort of almost the way, all the way back to the beginning in terms of the, the feel and the, the flow, like just more of a heavy rock thing. Um, I don't know that I, I didn't like write the songs in any particular order. Like some of them, I don't know, like life our own way, the title track. I think I wrote that like five years ago or something. I had never recorded it. Um, meme. I definitely wrote very recently. Um, you know, I'd say the bulk of the tracks I wrote in 2020, 2021. So they are all pretty recent and at least, at least four or five of them, I wrote after going down to Louisiana and doing the first session. So some of them came out of like the inspiration of of being down there for the first time and meeting these musicians. And in a way, I think I was kind of writing those, those four or five new ones, like with these musicians in mind to play them even. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely becomes more clear what you can do when you know who you're working with and their skill sets and what they thrive in. Um, Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a life like, like, you know, with the like, yeah, like the duet with Tiff, like yeah. our own way. Once I had written that, I was like, oh, my God, OK, we got to do another duet. I have this idea for this, this uh, like kind of sweeter love song about someone who's just like really resistant to love and is maybe really uh, traumatized and like trying to trust again. And I was like, OK, I want to sing that one with her, too. So that was definitely written with her in mind as like a co-singer. That's just one example of the kind of ways in which you think of people's you know people like the musicians are almost like colors on your painting palette and you kind of know how to compose something with them in mind yeah um what was that be on your side or on yeah your side? on your side yeah because once you know the tools and like one thing if you her and your voice really worked well together and like with on your side really does like it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff you touched upon in some of your books, like this, like kind of like uh, willingness to like accept one person. Um, mm. And that's kind of goes to like, a, I guess um, uh, a brain is hanging upside down. Some of the kind of narratives in the, in the relationship part of the, of that book. Um, mm-hmm. But even just the idea of life, your own way or life, our own way, like mm-hmm. with the work that you do, like, I feel like that's kind of like a, that's a title or a song seed that comes out of like a conversation with a friend or someone else who's living like a completely different, like, like they kind of touch upon what we said earlier in the conversation. Do you want to like work to live or live to work? And Mm -hmm. you're living Mm -hmm. your work. Like, Mm -hmm. 
Is that kind of a reflection on that? Is that that come out of like even like a family conversation of like to, to even like well they go to they do this thing every day and it kind of sucks <laughs> like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think it's it's maybe like a kind of a personal anthem that I do think of the world as like can be pretty cruel. It can really try and grind you down. There's not, you know, people don't really get encouraged to, to make art and to express themselves. And, you know, the message is always just like, yeah, you can do that, but you're going to fail at it. Um, so there's anytime you, you do, you know, commit to yourself and just keep making work in the face of that. I just think it's really heroic. And I think we all need to kind of fan those flames in each other. So it's, I'm I'm inspired by young people who just, you know, know what they want to do and do it. And um, I, you know, the more I look back on my young self, the more impressed I am that that I was so clear at what I wanted to do and I didn't let things stop me. And I'm I'm just like grateful to that young person for getting me here. And so in some ways it's like, yeah, it's sort of like hoping other young people would hear that and, and be encouraged, but then also just, uh, even people my age, like thinking back to their younger selves and trying to take some of that courage and heroism into the current state of your life to, you know, living life on your own terms at your own time and not letting it grind you down. It's weird. It's strange that that's the thing that no one believes in, like, it's going to work out. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Do the thing you like, have fun with that. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I mean, for me, like art is what makes life worth living at all. So you know, I, I just want people to keep making art. Absolutely. It's like the most important thing to me, you know, it's beautiful. Um, well, David, thank you so much um, for chatting with me today. I really appreciate this. Um, before we go, do you have any other projects other than the album in the works? Yeah. I mean, what's crazy is like, I, while we were mixing this, I wrote another album's worth of songs. So I've just actually, I was just down in Louisiana again, couple weeks ago with mark and we we recorded all the basic tracks for this next record so it'll it'll probably be at least six months or or more before we have a finished record but that's in process which i'm really happy about and uh it just means i'm just kind of like planting a flag like it means that music's gonna stay at the forefront of my life for a little while and i'm just gonna keep doing this you know nice um a quick random question before we go is it how much harder is it to put out a book than it is a record Hmm. Or is it? Or is it putting out a book easier than it is to put out a record? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm putting this record out myself. Um, so that's different from having a publisher. I mean, I will say it's nice. It's kind of freeing to put something out yourself. And I've done this with books, too, because it's your own timetable. And um, with a publisher, it's like you, you finish a book and then like a year later it comes out. So there's a lot of uh, waiting around and um, things can take a long time, like mm-hmm. for editing and, you know, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, there's, there's an immediacy to like doing things on your own terms with, which I really like. Okay, cool. I I just had a friend who did a film and like, they were just going on about how much hard, like, I just want to make records. <laughs> like I have <laughs> what you described. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you, Dave. This was great. Really appreciate it.